0: Let's take our Bibles, please, and join me in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. And as you're turning, let me uh, do a little bit of a trivia thing with you here this morning. Here we go. Do we have screens? Thanksgiving is recognized holiday only in the United States. True or false? Where else? Canada has. You're so smart. Here we go. What was the name of the famous rock where the pilgrims landed? Chevrolet, right? No. Plymouth Rock. Okay, very good. Here we go on this one. What foods did the pilgrims have but were afraid to eat because they thought they were poisonous? Potatoes, tomatoes, cranberries, coconut, squash, turkey, ham, scrapple. Which ones were they? In the early service, several said scrapple. They were right, okay? And coconut was number two. They are not the right answers. What are they? It's not cranberries. Okay, potatoes and tomatoes were the ones that they thought were poisonous at the very beginning. Here we go. How long did the first Thanksgiving feast last? The same, as long as you want it to last today. Okay, one day, two days, three days, five days, one week, two weeks. You want two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's not, it lasted three days. Okay. Which utensil was not used by the early Americans like the pilgrims? Spoon, fork, knife, cup, plate. It's not, the, it's not the spork, okay? It was the fork. Here we go. Which state raises the most turkeys? Minnesota, North Carolina, Arkansas, Indiana, Missouri, Virginia, Pennsylvania. So one of those. It's one of those. We're talking the animal, not the people. Okay. Which one do you think it is? Virginia, no. (laughs) Pennsylvania, no. Arkansas, no. You're getting closer. Okay. You don't know? You don't know? (laughs) Again, I'm talking the animal, not the people, okay? Here we go. How many Americans think leftovers from Thanksgiving are better than the original meal? Before we do the national poll, how many here? The leftovers are great, yes? We are not the national poll, okay? (laughs) National poll, what do you think it is? 80%, okay, 80%. Here we go. Which president was the first one to call for a national day of Thanksgiving? Washington, Jefferson, Jackson, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Reagan, Obama. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. It's Washington. Okay, Washington was the first one to call for it. Okay, in fact, it didn't become an annual, supposed to be, until Lincoln came in. And it was Sarah Josepha Hale, who was the woman who strongly encouraged Lincoln to make this an annual national holiday. She was famous for what other, before she did this, what things she wrote. Was it the first draft of the Emancipation, the Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, Dixie, Our Hope for Woman to Vote, Black Beauty, Frankenstein, or Mary Had a Little Lamb? Mary Had a Little Lamb. Absolutely right. Which president is the only one to never encourage a national observance of Thanksgiving while in office? In fact, he refused to do it. Thomas Jefferson, all eight years, he, do, he said he would never declare the national day of thanksgiving. Understand, his was because of separation of church and state, but it's not that he's un, unusual. There was a survey I was listening to on the way home from a visit the other evening, and they were talking about getting a survey of people who think that we shouldn't even bring God into thanksgiving. That God should be left out of thanksgiving. And the majority of people responding, some like 52% say God has nothing to do with thanksgiving. In fact, God had everything to do with thanksgiving. It was the reason that was first brought in as an American thought, as American day of observance was to give thanks to the Lord. But even though we know that historically, we know that a lot of people are like Jefferson today. They would just as soon not even bring it up. We know that many are more concerned about the Thanksgiving weekend, about Black Friday or getting the Christmas decorations up or getting time off of school or away from things, which again, none of that is evil or bad, but the reality is... It's just a display that we as a whole, as a people, we struggle with giving thanks. It's part of our sin nature to not be thankful. We read in scriptures where it says, When people knew God and they glorified him not, neither were they thankful. It's a description of our hearts. That left to ourselves without the Spirit of God working with us, we're not going to be thankful people. That's just not in our nature to do it. It takes the work of the Spirit of God to help us to have that supernatural empowerment to be thankful. In fact, we are told that in our day and age, in the latter days, people will turn away from the Lord. And one of the things that they will get involved with, along with being proud, blasphemers, disobedience, unholy, is they're going to become more and more unthankful. And you and I who are believers, who are followers of Jesus Christ, who say that he is our Lord, we of all people should really just have this outflow of thanksgiving. In fact, when we were in the book of Colossians the last few weeks, we talked about this, that we are commanded to let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful Every single one of us, this is something we're to be working at, we're to be being showing in our lives. In fact, Paul wrote that he assumed that as believers, while giving thanks always for all things, this would be a part of our makeup, part of our worship, part of what the Spirit produces in our hearts. In fact, we know this is the will of God for you. The will of God for you right now in this age that you're living in, that I'm living in, in this period of our life, no matter what we're experiencing, this is the will of God that in everything we give thanks. And yet, we don't always do that. We let COVID, we let limitations steal our joy. And of all people, that ought not to be us. It ought not to be us to let finances, to let school difficulties, to let problems in society, to let elections rob us of our joy. We should be people who are giving praise. In fact, that's what Psalm 100 is all about. Psalm 100, if you go there here with me this morning... It's called the Old 100th. It was one of the most favorite psalms of the pilgrims when they first came to America. They made this one of their classic readings that they would do on a regular basis whenever they gathered to worship. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a very unique psalm. It is the only one of all the psalms that is specifically entitled a psalm of thanksgiving or a psalm of praise. Now, don't don't get me wrong. The psalms are filled with thanksgiving. They're filled with praise, but this one was designed designed to be used in corporate worship as a group gathering and saying we are going to give thanks within this psalm as you go through there are seven different commands In the Hebrew language. And all of them combined, they form and they help us to understand this psalm, what God is trying to communicate to us. What God is doing is saying that when you get together, and this is the understanding of this psalm, is that it was a call to worship. It was a gathering of the Jews at the temple, at the tabernacle, even in the synagogues, or even as families when they would gather, that they would read this psalm and they would exercise what it's talking about. The seven imperatives are talking about praising the Lord, giving praise. But as you go through answer two questions are answered in this psalm. And the two questions are really important for us as we wrap up Thanksgiving weekend to look at. As we look at this psalm, what it does is it tells us how to give thanks to God. In fact, this is God speaking to us and telling you, this is what I expect of you. This is how you're to do it. I I don't know about you, but whenever I started a new class, whether it been in high school or college or in seminary years, one of the things I wanted very early on was the professor to tell us, the teacher to tell me, what do they expect from us? What do they expect for work as far as reading or papers or tests? And what would they be looking for on this test or on this exam? you know, what's your, what, you know, what's really important that we need to be remembering? Well, this is God speaking to us and saying, this is what I consider really important for you. This is how you can really give me thanks. And he's going to be very practical, very pointed. If you want to praise the Lord and give thanks, he's going to tell us how to do that. Then what he's going to do in the second part of the, uh, the passage, he's going to tell us how, uh, why we should. Now look at verses 1 and 2. This is your how where he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, and then he's going to say, why? Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves, for we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Then, for those of us who have struggles with getting things, you know, we're we're remedial in some of our education, he repeats it. He goes back to you know, how to praise him, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. So let's, let's discuss it. Let's look at those verses broken down. How are we to praise the Lord? Very simply, and I'm going to use for sake of alliteration three terms that are taken from this or at a, are implied from this. Number one, we're to shout to God. We're to shout to God. He says in this text, make a joyful noise. It's the idea of something that's loud, that's exuberant. It has this idea of being thankful unto him and bless his name. Literally, the root of the word has the idea of throwing praises at somebody. When the ruler comes in, giving a cheer for him. It's the idea of being enthusiastic, excited. Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to all of a sudden go to that point where we're ecstatic and out of control and we have no composure. And we're just screaming and yelling and making just nonsense instead of sense. That's not what we're talking about. But rather what he's talking about in this passage is that we are to verbalize our praise. We are to express our praise. We are not supposed to be keeping our, our faith, our joy silent and hidden that nobody knows it. God wants us to express praise to him. God wants us to talk about him, to him, giving him thanks. You as parents. You do this to your kids all the time. When the kids all of a sudden, they get something from somebody or somebody compliments them. You say to your children, you want to hear them say, thank you to that person. Well, God in heaven wants to hear you and me. Hear us say thank you, to give him praise. The idea is to do it with joy. Sing praises, shout with joy, not just, okay, I got to be here, I got to do it, but rather to be involved with it. And it's a command that applies to every single one of us. So we're supposed to be verbalizing, expressing our joy. One writer described it this way. He says that our thanksgiving is to interrupt the dark night of the world with the fireworks of praise. Isn't that descriptive? That you are living in a world that some of you feel absolutely separated, stagnated, really repressed at this moment. And instead of being overwhelmed by that, you're to be overjoyed to the point that you are displaying a different attitude than anybody else. That you are giving God praise and glory and giving him worship and exalting him, even in the midst of difficult times. We're supposed to be shouting our praise. Then he tells us a second what he's looking for, service. He says in this passage, serve the Lord with gladness. Now when we go back to the original idea and say, what's that word mean? Well, obviously, God is pleased. God is looking for us to serve him. But what does it mean to serve? Sometimes the word is translated worship. Sometimes it has the idea of kneeling down before somebody, bowing down to that individual, being humble, And being adoring towards that individual. Sometimes it has the idea of doing things actively. Being involved with serving him. Doing his bidding. And so we say, okay, which one is it? It can be both. It is translated, it's interpreted at times as both those ideas. Humbly worshiping God, serving him by serving others. Isn't that what Jesus promoted? When he says that some are going to be rewarded because of their service to me, and when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And we'll say, when did that happen? When you saw others. And you helped them. You were serving me. So when I go into my mind. I say okay. How can I serve the Lord? That's one way of showing my praise. My gratitude. Doing for him. Pleasing him. Obeying him. What types of things does he tell me to do? Well, in the New Testament, we have all kinds of things, using your spiritual gifts within the local church, the idea of praying for others, the idea of sharing the gospel, the idea of being entertaining, the visitors, those with hospitality, the idea of submitting to your partner, to your parents, the idea of obedience and, and saying, I'm going to show my dedication to the Lord by baptism. It's all of these, plus many more, that he says, when you come before me, and I invite you to come, when you come... Speak your praises. When you come, show your gratitude by, by in getting involved with serving me and serving others. But I want to add something. Look at the phrase, serve the Lord. He adds something to it. What? Okay, with gladness. With gladness. Attitude is so important. It is so easy to go through rituals. To go through routine, it is so easy to show up at ten thirty for church and then to sit here, but to do it with mechanics, to do it with oblig- obligation, to do it with no joy. And he says, No, 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 no. When you come to worship, when you come before me in your daily devotions and you open your word. I want you to do it with gladness. I want you to do it with delight. I want you to do it with the spirit of gratitude, not just an idea of, okay, I got to do this, and and I'm going to labor through the prayer at the meal. I'm going to labor through serving my family. I'm going to labor through obedience to my parents. No, no. Serve with gladness. Attitude is critical. You know how you as a parent would say this to your kids, watch your attitude, better change your attitude, you know, happy meals are only for happy kids, get that attitude right. You know, and you say, I, had, I was reading one parent who was saying how he did their parenting with their kids. I thought it was clever. He says our kids got allowances, they had chores to do. But not only did they have to do the chores, but they had to do it with the right attitude or they still didn't get that, that allowance for those chores done attitude is critical. It is so important. So you have to ask yourself, okay, what is my attitude? I'm here for worship. I'm here for giving thanks. What kind of attitude do you have this morning? Where is your heart? And it's not always easy. We talked about the woman who first went to Lincoln and said, here, let's do a national day of Thanksgiving. She wanted that day of Thanksgiving, even though she was in some difficult times. Just a short time before she approached Lincoln, she had lost her child and she lost her husband, within months of each other. She wore black for the rest of her life because she was... Grieving over the loss of her loved ones. And yet she said, We need to have time where we have a Thanksgiving, where we come before the Lord and say, God, thank you for the blessings that I often take for granted, especially in our country, especially in the freedoms that we have. And so here that attitude is so important that we come before the Lord and we verbalize, we shout, we come before the Lord and we're serving, we come before the Lord and we're singing. He says in this text, come before me, and he adds with it, that we're singing here, with a, come before his presence with singing at the end of verse 2. And so we know that God is saying one of the ways that you can worship him is by your songs. We understand that. Music is such a part of what we do that it can can express our emotions, it can express our gratitude, it can express our feelings towards other people, and it can express what we think about God. Music helps us when we're in those down moments to reflect, to think about God's goodness, God's greatness, when we sing to ourselves, great is thy faithfulness, when we all of a sudden sing about Jesus, loving me when we sing about and look walk out at night and we look at the stars and we say when I walk out night beneath a majestic sky saying, I wonder about this God who's all wise almighty God how wonderful you are to all those we understand how music can impact and he says I enjoy that Maybe it's because he's a musician himself. That God says, come before me. When you come in a private sense, when you come in a public sense, use music as part of your praise. Express it, share it. But let me caution you that when we use music, and here's the challenge for you and me, that oftentimes we come and we sing, we love the tunes, but we don't listen to the words. We don't reflect on what the words are. And when we, sometimes we come and we just kind of in the service like this, we all of a sudden get involved with singing, but we're not engaged. Our brain goes in neutral. He says, don't do that. When he's talking about corporate worship in First Corinthians 14, he says, when you gather, you sing, but sing with understanding. Make sure that part of what you're doing is you are engaging your mind and your spirit with praising. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Don't, you've got it so well memorized, you don't even need to see the words. But he says, think on it. Think on what you're singing. Think on what you're saying. And verbalize that to me. When you talk about how great I am, or how good I am, or you're appreciative of something. Don't just go through the motions. Have it where you are mentally involved and active in it. Don't do what this little boy did. When it came to corporate worship, this little boy was all done one day. he Gets in the car and he says to his mom, he says, Mom, what's the farthest you've ever counted to? By ones. And she says, I don't know. She says, what's the farthest you ever counted to? He said, 5,372. And she says, wow, how do you know that? That's what I counted during church. He had a little boy and she found out that that's what he did through the entire church. He just counted one after another. He says, that's how long that guy spoke. Okay, just, just to give you some hope, that means about 90 minutes, okay? I'm not going that long this morning. I'm only doing 85. So, those of you who are counting, give you a clue. When we come, we're supposed to be engaged, we're supposed to be involved. So, we shout to the Lord, we serve God, we sing. And so I challenge you, when you give thanksgiving, when you come for worship, when you do it at home, but let's talk corporate worship. When you come, come with the spirit of you want to give praise to God. Come with an idea, I'm going to be engaged in singing. Come with the idea that I'm going to serve the Lord in my spirit, and then as well, serve other people. Don't come to church with waiting for others to do for you. Get involved. Get involved. It is a way that God says, you praise me, you honor me, you worship me. Now, what happens in this text is it tells us that God wants to be praised. He appreciates it. This text tells us that God wants it to be done. Genuine joy, genuine thanksgiving. And so you and I, before we go any further, we've got to pause and ask the big question. How's your heart? How's your heart right now? Is this, is this gathering one that you are doing because you got to or you want to? Is your worship, your thanksgiving, when you had time and gathering as a family and took time to say, what are we grateful for? Is it because you had to or you wanted to? It's a huge difference. And God says, I want you to want to thank me, to want to give thanksgiving. I don't want it to be declared as a national holiday. Therefore, you have to do it. I want my people to enjoy giving me praise. I delight in hearing that. I want to hear your thank yous. I want to hear what, that you appreciate what I've done. Every single one of you in this room, you want that. You want people to say thank you to you. I appreciate what you've done. This is what, what I like about you. It thrills your heart. Don't you think God in heaven wants to hear that from you? There's a story that's a book that's written. It's called The Springs of the Valley. It's one of those books like Pilgrim's Progress where it's a spiritual parable. And in this story, the hero of the story is walking one day, and as he's journeying along, comes across a barn. And in this barn, there's a sign that says, you know, all the seeds of temptation. And he goes in to see what's inside, and he sees all these different bags of seeds. And each one of them is marked with all different types of temptations. But he notices that there's one group of seeds, there's a lot more bags, there's a whole bunch of them, and they're entitled Discouragement. And he's wondering, why is there so many seeds of discouragement compared to all the other temptations? And he asked the caretaker of the barn. He says, why is it that the cronies who come in, the, the nymphs of, of Satan, that they run out and they have all their different temp- seeds that they go and plant in hearts? And he says, oh, the reason we have so much of discouragement, it'll grow in any heart. It is our most popular seed to plant to defeat people. And he says, really? He says, discouragement? He says, yeah, there's only one place. One place where it won't grow. Only one type of heart and it's called a grateful heart. That author wanted us to understand that when we have a spirit of gratitude, we're strengthened to resist all other types of temptation because then we are humbled before God. With that gratitude, we are looking to God and saying thank you, thank you, thank you. And we recognize it's not us, it's him. And we are more prone to resist temptation if we have a spirit of gratitude. Is that your heart this morning? Could God have written over your heart this morning, grateful heart? Well, if that's the case, then you, you agree with Psalm 100 that God deserves all kinds of praise. What well, we looked at already, the idea of how we are supposed to praise God. Let's look at why. Why we are to give him thanks. He mentions it here in verse three. Know ye that the Lord he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Let's, let's break it down. Why are we supposed to give praise? And what I'm saying is so simple. It is so obvious that we kind of just rush right over it. But let us sink down contemplate, meditate on this idea this morning. He says, no, absolutely be on solid ground. Make sure you understand. It's one of the, one of the commands here, the imperatives, make sure you're on solid ground. And what solid ground is that, that you're standing upon? Know this of all things, understand this, Know he's God. He's God. In other words, we're supposed to give him praise because of who he is. We're supposed to think of who God is, what God is like. We're supposed to pause and uh, reflect when we gather for worship. And that's the shame for us. Sometimes when we gather for worship, me, you, sometimes we're so engaged on getting this done and getting this done and getting through this song and getting this prayer and getting this message done that we forget to stop and think, who is God? Who is he? What is he like? You expressed it this morning. You wrote down some words that described God. What did you write? What were some of the words you wrote down? Please. What's that? Merciful, loving, Almighty, holy, righteous, kind, present, good. What's that? Okay. Faithful, what do you have? Patient. Just. Yes. Keep it up. Party. Party. Keep it up. Awesome. And one <laughs> last thing: <laughs> Omniscient. Um, Omniscient. Never fail. And prayer.
1: Covenant.
0: All of Omnipotent. Every day. True. Trustworthy. Majestic. Today. King. Changing. Oh, Isn't he amazing? Isn't he amazing? And we come to worship, and we don't even pause at times to think about that. He says, know this. When you come, you pause, you reflect. He's God. He is all of what you described. He is this awesome, amazing person that says, I want to hear from you this morning. Think of me. Think of me and thank me. So he gives us one reason why to praise him. He's God. He gives us another reason why to praise him. He's our creator. Some of you may have a different translation or the rendering of it. Some of you, I'm not sure how your translations, mine reads, it is he that made us and not we ourselves. Some of you might end that second phrase and we are not our own. It's the same type of an idea. It's that idea that, as we think about what God has done for us we don 't we aren 't here because of us. Evolution is wrong, okay people just didn 't happen and grow, and we're the we 're not the epitome of all creation, that we are the zenith, we are the climax you and i we are the highest level of all creation and beings uh, I think not, okay. This passage just brings it back to a reality that says God planned us. God designed us. God knows us. God has enabled us to do whatever we do. Some of you are so skilled at music. Do you know where you got that musical ability? God. Some of you are so great at mechanical, figuring things out mechanically. Where'd you get that ability? God, some of you are wonderful when it comes to the idea of being hospitable and, and entertaining. God gave you that ability or that gift. Some of you are able to grow anything. You've got green thumbs, all 10 of them, because some of us, we, we killed the plastic flowers. Where did you get that ability? God gave it to you. Some of you are, are really exceptional when it comes to Math. Or other academics, some of you are fantastic when it comes to sports. Some of you have the ability and have the, have no ab- apprehension whatsoever to stand up and to speak in public. Some of you, like me, don't know when to be quiet. Okay. Who gave us those abilities? God. Who designed the way we look? Now, don't say God made a mistake. Okay, God did. Who gave you the abilities, the talents, the skills? God had a plan for your life, and he's bringing people, bringing things into your life as your creator to help you to achieve that, that to the best of your abilities, to give you the education, to give you the experiences, to give you the trials, to give you the help that's needed. It's all God. It's God that enables us to be able to be here, And he says, remember this, you are not of your own, it's not your own doing. You're not, you don't belong to yourself. We belong to God. We should praise him because he's God. He's our creator. He is our, the one who's designed us, who's made us, who knows us best. But then he goes on, he says, he's our shepherd. He's our shepherd. He describes that where he makes this comment. He says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If you live back in those days, you understand even more than what we would today that you have been chosen to be a part of his flock. He allows you to be a part of the flock. He doesn't sell you off. He doesn't get rid of you. He doesn't chase you into the wilderness. You are a part of his heritage. That he talks about that idea of being the sheep of his pasture. You know, right away, don't you think of what psalm? 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Okay, here he is. Jesus describing himself as the great shepherd. The, the, the one who is the good shepherd, who provides and protects. One of our men shared it this week. He says in his devotions, he was just having a tough time with everything that's going on. But as he reflected on a passage that talked about God being his shepherd, he says, all of a sudden, I pictured this. I pictured that I was within the corral of God's sheepfold. And there I am in the middle, and Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And on the outside are the bears, the wolves, the lions of our society, our times, trying to get at me, trying to destroy me but the shepherd is protecting me the shepherd is providing for me the shepherd is watching me, he said it made a world of difference in his heart and in his spirit to reflect upon Jesus Christ providing, protecting caring for him, that he is the one who cares for us, think this through, the God who sits on the throne of heaven, who controls all of creation cares for you provides for you you say, but I'm only a teenager. You're one of God's flock. You are special to him. God is watching you and caring for you and providing for you and bringing those experiences into your life so that you can become the best servant possible. You ought to give him praise. You ought to give him worship, that he cares for you that much. You got to give him adoration, that he's that protective. He's good. He's good. It makes a comment. He says, for the Lord is good. If you lived back in those days, let, let's take off our shoes. Let's put on our sandals and go back 3,000 years. Let's sit in a society that says that there's all kinds of deities. And all these gods, these spirits, there's, some, there's a god of the river. There's a god of the forest. There's a god of the mountains. There's a god of winter. There's a god of summer. There's a God of the pew you're sitting in. There's a God in the building that you're sitting in. There's a God of the parking lot. There's a God who manages your business. There's a God who manages your health. If you live back in those days, that's what you're hearing. You're hearing there's all these deities, all these little gods. And you, if you offend one of them, if you upset them in any way, shape, or form, what are they going to do? They're going to get you. They're vindictive. They're they're cruel. They're they're very jealous. They don't want you to give more worship to another one than than to them. So if you don't do something right, if you offend them this morning, you step out and your car may have a flat tire because the god of the parking lot didn't like what you did. That's the world they lived in. That's the fear that people still live in. And he's already said, "He's Lord. He's God." And then to get that foolishness out of their minds that the deities are vengeful and mean and cruel and always looking for somebody to slap down, he says he's good. He's not like all these other supernatural characters that you hear about. Our God is a good God. Our God is holy and just and loving and faithful and righteous. That's the God we worship. And he says he provides everything that we need. He gives us all the good. And he summarizes it in the book of James, where he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. You listed off some of the things you were thankful for this morning when it came to your house, the country, when it came to education. Those all came from God. Every perfect gift is from above, it's by God's goodness. And we know that this good God, he never does anything that's against us. Well, it might be against what we don't want, but nothing that's going to be harmful to us in the long run. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. That's you who are born again. Our God is good. Our God is loving. Our God is caring. Our God who knows me, knows exactly what I need. He goes on, describes him even further. He says he's merciful. He says his mercy is everlasting. In mind is forgiveness, is grace. In mind is that idea of forgiveness of sin. And he's saying, give God glory, give him praise. He's not like some people who over a period of time, the older they get, the more cantankerous they get. The more senile they get. Uh-uh. This God, he says, he is consistently gracious and merciful. This God... He never is, he's not like your phone or your iPad that has to be rejuiced or runs out of power. Not with this God, not with his grace. His grace never runs out. Aren't you glad that God is as gracious as he was in Old Testament that he's still that gracious? Aren't you glad that when he forgave the woman at the well, that same grace is still available today, that it never ran out? Aren't you glad that the grace that forgave the Apostle Paul for murdering believers is still as potent as it was back then? Aren't you glad that Peter, who denied the Lord three times, who gave, who just he was warned and yet he gave into that temptation? Aren't you glad that that same forgiveness that sought him out and said that Peter, you can feed my sheep, that he had a second chance? Aren't you glad that same grace is still available? In 2020? That's what we're supposed to be thinking about this morning. That's what we're supposed to be giving praise for. That Jesus Christ is as gracious to us as he was back then. To others who needed to get saved. That we are called to come before his presence by his grace. story told by John Phillips who wrote on this passage. And he wrote about that idea where he's talking in this text where he says that we know the Lord is great. Enter into his thanks with thanksgiving. Why is that? Because he's good, his mercy is everlasting. He said he read of the, or, or heard of the true story of a little boy there in London who had a, had a goal in mind. He went up to Buckingham Palace outside the gate where they have those British guards that stand in their position. This little boy walked up one day and said to one of those guards, he says, that I need to see the king. And the man didn't move. The guard just held his position. Little boy, he pulled at the guy's uh, uniform. The man didn't move. He kicked him in the boot. The guy didn't move. Finally, a police officer saw this little boy harassing the soldier and came up and said, son, what are you doing? He says, I need to see the king. My family has an emergency. I need to see the king. And the police officer said, you got to go away. You can't be here. This soldier can't get you in. You, you can't see the king. Just then, a gentleman came walking up from one of the one of the vehicles that was stopped just outside the front there on the road, and the man came up well dressed individual saw this policeman talking to this little boy and asked what was going on and The little boy turned to this man who looked real friendly and said to him, "I need to see the king." he said, "Well, why do you need to see, see the king and The little boy explained his predicament, whatever the crisis was, and that gentleman you know, who was dressed in fine clothes, he said to the police officer, I'll take care of this. And he said, son, you need to take my hand and I'll take you to the king. The little boy took his hand and in they walked past the guard, past the policeman, walked through the gates, walked all the way into the front door of Buckingham Palace, walked past other guards and as they came down the hall, the doors opened as, as that little boy was amazed what was going on, didn't understand until finally when he got into the presence of the king that he realized he was holding hands to the Prince of Wales, the son of the King, is that man gave the ability to come in to see the King? Do you realize Jesus Christ gave you the opportunity to see God? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. It is by Jesus Christ, who was full of grace, according to John 1, 14. It is by His mercy, His grace, that He came down to this earth. He gave His life so you and I could have eternal life. Be grateful. Be thankful for Christ. Be thankful for God's grace that is everlasting. But he adds something else. says, be thankful for his faithfulness. God is faithful. Look how he wraps up this psalm. He says, his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Again, I remind you, God never changes or weakens in time. Our God is consistent. His word never changes. His promises, the ones you wrote down... They said, write two promises for which you're thankful. Those promises are valid. They come from God Almighty. You can cash them in at any time because he is faithful. Think with me. God is as faithful to you, will be as faithful to you as he was. Throw a name in there. He was faithful to Daniel. Daniel. In carrying Daniel through his lion's den, he was faithful to Moses in enabling Moses to do the job that Moses was called to do. He was faithful to Elijah to provide Elijah's foodstuffs when he needed even via a bird, via a widow. He was faithful to the disciples when they were in the middle of the boat, not once but twice, thinking they were dying in the storm. He was faithful. He was faithful to the Apostle Paul, who was going around preaching, but he got arrested. Before the time he ever spoke to kings, and yet God worked it out, changed circumstances so that he was released from prison, he eventually gets a free trip to Rome, speaks before the Caesar's household, and leads many to Christ. God is faithful to those individuals, and he says, I will be that same type of faithful to you. He cares for you. He designed you. His truth, his promises are as good for the saints of old as they are for you today. Give me praise. Give me glory that I don't change, he says. Give me thanks because I am faithful. You put this all together and what do you end up with? You got to end up at a spot where you say, thank you, God. Thank you for being my father. Thank you for being my God. Thank you for being the one who cares for me. To know that you are always providing and protecting and, and moving in such a way. This is what he's calling people to do. All people to do. To give him praise. To give him glory.